Hello again. Thank you for joining us again on um, This Week with Sabir. And this week in the hot seat is Avinash Kaushik uh, from Google. He's the digital marketing uh, evangelist. I would like to tell you a little bit about him first, and then I'll tell you how I know him. Uh, so he, he is at Google. He's a digital marketing evangelist. Uh, he has actually written, uh, let me share with you, he has written this book. Uh, I can tell you, I know the audience loves uh, to read books and especially recommendations from me about what I read. Uh, so both of his books, uh, Avinash's books, uh, Web Analytics and Web Analytics 2.0, uh, they're both are my staple. Amazing books. I've recommended anyone who wanted to become either a web analyst or run a business, I highly recommend this book. It's available on Amazon. You can just type in Web Analytics 2.0, Avinash Koshek, and you should be able to find the book. Uh, more about uh, Avinash is that um, he is currently de delving in artificial intelligence, but we will get to that topic. It's a very advanced topic, machine learning algorithms and so on. Uh, but we will start out slow first. Uh, however, some of the big things I can tell you about him is uh, he has, he's worked with Unilever, Chase, Hyatt, uh, Porsche, IBM, Naspers, and Chanel. I'm sure that the list is 300 companies, you know, and th th those are just the highlights. Um, he, he's on the advisory board of like top schools. He's a guest lecturer, uh, names like Stanford and UCLA. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal guy in, in industry honors. And most importantly, this is the part that I, I, I tell people how I know you. Actually, Avinash and I both uh, spoke at a, um, at, a, at, at a health and wellness conference uh, uh, a few years ago. I, I would say about five, six years ago. Uh, first of all, I was even though I was a speaker, I was blown away to the fact that I was meeting you in person because I had read your books and and uh, I found you to be phenomenal. You know, this was at the beginning of uh, you know, so it's it's a common routine right now that uh, there are so many bloggers and you have access <laughs> to so many people. At that time, you didn't have that. You you read people's uh, you know, I'm I'm very old school. If you remember one of the early, you know magazine publications called Dr. Dobbs Journal. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the type of an OG I am, you know. Oh yeah, I, I remember. I remember Dr. Dobbs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, actually, I was sad for the for the publication to go away. Like you know, it was a phenomenal publication. Uh, I, I, you know, it's something that I I, uh, I, I dearly miss because a lot of intelligent people uh, used to submit articles to that kind of a publication, and I and I miss it. But um, you know, uh, but for fast forward to 2020, Avinash puts out phenomenal <laughs> uh, newsletter and I'm a member also of TMAI we'll talk about what that is uh, and on on Occam's razor on on Kaush .net. Uh, so if you want to visit him here we go while while we are covering it uh, I'll keep that on there so that you can go and check him out sign up there's a there's a premium version and also there's a free version I think mm -hmm. uh, so please subscribe to, to it phenomenal highly recommended and with that long introduction, Avinash, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sabir. I, I, I value the opportunity and, and, and the chance to, to talk uh, commerce with some of uh, your, your fantastic audience. Awesome. So we all have pivot points. Um, I don't know if you knew this, Avinash, but uh, I, I think my audience knows by now because I've covered it before. Uh, my background is I'm a computer scientist. Uh, I barely took any business class. You know, And, and my, my background story is when there was no Avinash with, with web analytics books for me to read, I took, I went to Barnes and Noble, picked up a couple of books and sat with my coffee. You know how they allow you to sit in the cafe and read books. 
I, I read my books and, and I, I trained myself in marketing and business and I really learned it. To me, it was mathematics, you know, especially with, with uh, web, web logs and e-commerce and stuff like that. And I'm talking about a time I was learning this. There was no Urchin, which is the predecessor of Google Analytics. Yes, yes, of course. You know, there was no such thing. So I had to end up building some of those logs in order for me to collect data so I can study it. And then I was learning traditional marketing so I, to see how I can apply it. Uh, to that. So I have had a major pivot from being a computer scientist, 20 plus programming languages, like I'm a hacker around that end, to becoming a, a business growth hacker where I use that knowledge to actually do that. So we all have pivot points. W what is the moment in time uh, that influenced you and, and put you in the trajectory where we are? W who were some of those influencers? I saw some things on your site, so I, I would like you to kind of talk about that. Yes, of course. No, thank you. That's a that's a great question, and I wish I wish that in life we have one pivot point. I, I think the, the the people who are doing this right probably have a whole bunch of pivot points, uh, uh, especially in this this modern life. This idea that you do one job, you do it for any number of years is is definitely doesn't apply to us, and will never apply to our children, of course. Um, I think I think a couple of things. Uh, I think one one big pivot point for me was you know I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer. That's what I have a bachelor's degree <laughs> in, and uh, and I was working in my dad's small company at a very 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 small, a very young age. And I think somewhere in the engineering school, this idea that oh I did not want to do just just hardcore mechanical engineering, but I wanted to be a business person. Um, that was one big pivot point because what it did is sort of took me took me to say, okay, well, how do I want to plot my life differently while I am actually achieving the degree that I did not really want to practice. So <laughs> my parents were not that happy. Um, and then sort of go to Saudi Arabia, work there for sort of three years, and I come to the US for an MBA. So that's one, one big pivot point, like this decision. And then while I was doing an MBA, I think at, at the time, and this is like 20 years ago, is, is the, the web was becoming very popular and, and um, the first browsers had come out. And I was like, oh my God, this thing is gonna change the way people deal with information. So the second sort of pivot point was changing my major from just focusing on finance to focusing on management information systems, MIS degree, yeah. uh, and, and a minor in marketing. So that, that was a big pivot point. It just took me in a completely different career direction that I might have if I had finished an MBA in finance. And I think the third big one was probably this, this uh, very early speaking engagement I had done. I was working at Intuit and these, these two bloggers were in the, in the audience, Andy Beal and Jeremiah Oyong. And we all met after the conference, all the speakers to, to have dinner and speak. And they, the two of them like really encouraged me to start a blog. And I said, really? I, I, I like blogs are for like pompous people. And they, this is when Sabir, like Guy Kawasaki's blog was out, and then Seth was dominant early. This early, like early. Yeah. Seth's still dominant, of course. Um, and I, 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 it, I was not convinced, but they, they, I, they never knew me. By the way, I had no idea who they were. They had knew no idea except I had done this keynote. Uh, but they super encouraged me even after we we met to start. And so the blog was a huge, huge pivot point. To, to launching something that uh, now is like almost 15 years old or 12 years old, I forget, like a lot of years old, more than 1.2 million keywords, uh, 1.2 million words I've written on wow. the blog over time that became books and that became my current job and so on and so forth. So yeah, I, I think look back at those three big, big pivot points. Um, and I think the blog is probably most responsible for the shift into web analytics in particular than 
than um, into trying to persuade the world and teach them how to think differently and do things differently and and everything else that's come from it. So those those three are big ones. So you're leading me on that because you you are you have a 15 year head start. Uh, <laughs> I started this week with Severe during quarantine <laughs> in New York. I live in New York. So I, I started it up in addition to my business. I, I started even though everyone kept on asking me to do it. I never did it, you know. So I finally decided to, just like you, I started to, uh, and I started with with a live stream like this uh, to kind of start it. And people find a lot of value, and and the expertise that I bring on uh, the the folks that I really admire and uh, you know uh, to kind of share their uh, thoughts and stuff like that. So, eat like a bird and poop like an elephant. <laughs> what is that about? Yes, sorry, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I should have I should have muted my phone. And, no problem. Uh, no, it isn't. Do not disturb. Jesus, why is it ringing? Sorry. Um, is this an you, iPhone? <laughs> I've got a Sony uh, Xperia one. You can see the stickers are still on. Oh, wow. so I'm still figuring out how to use it. Let me actually turn it off because uh, it's a beautiful phone, by the way. I could not recommend it more. It's a fantastic awesome. phone. Is, is it uh, the latest I, Android on it? I'm sorry. Does it have the latest Android? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stock Android, which you know, I, I don't like all the Samsung bloatware. So <laughs> amazing. Um, apologies. Let me let me go back to your. So your, eat like uh, a bird and poop like an elephant. Yes. So so early on, I one of the, I I usually tend to do things in a very deliberate way. So for example, even after I decided that I'm going to launch a blog, I started writing a blog, but the only people reading it were my wife, and no one else. So I, I, I was very thought, I'm like, let me see if I can actually do it. At the time, I was trying to figure out what the purpose of my blog should be. And and um, what what ended up happening is uh, I read Guy Kawasaki's blog, and, and he talked a little bit about why he was blogging. At the time, he was the most famous blogger, one mm -hmm. of the most famous bloggers on the planet. Uh, and one of his philosophies was eat like a bird, poop like an elephant. And what, what it was was that we all benefit from learning from everybody else in the ecosystem, in our industry, in our companies. And what you want to do is that you want to go back and give more than you take. And I thought it's such a great philosophy. And I, I, I'm an avid and constant learner. Like even now, I spend four hours a week learning something new every single week, right? Um, and so I thought, okay, I, I'm going to eat like a bird absorb and learn from other people, but I'm gonna give back a lot more than what I am learning from others. So it became this really high aspiration that I could aspire for. And it became one of the founding mantras for me starting my blog. So I needed a purpose and then that became this fantastic purpose. Uh, so I thank Guy Kawasaki for, for, for giving me that quote. And since then I've aspired to live uh, with, uh, under, under what that spirit is, uh, learn from everybody, absorb from everybody, but eat like a bird, but then you give back a lot more than what you're able to take in. I mean, I could attest to that. I mean, I've, I've read your writings and uh, they don't seem like, you know, you're giving me a taste of it, but you're giving me a lot more, you know? Yeah. So there are some articles, blog articles that you read, you go like, but what about this scenario or that or something? And, and the author just kind of missed, either missed it intentionally, meaning that they wanted somebody to contact them for consulting services or something, or a product that they sell, but they never took it that last mile to bring me home, you know, go like, wow, this is an incredible. I can tell you like one of those articles, um, uh, you're familiar with Neil Patel, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, Neil and I know each other. Uh, phenomenal. He has written uh, one article that I've saved for, I would say, 10 years now. <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's about all the case studies in e-commerce that he had done like 10 years ago, you know? 
and I still still is relevant. I did ask him, by the way, this is the second time I'm asking him now publicly to actually up, update it with social media because a lot has changed in the marketing landscape and the UX and mobile and stuff like that has changed, you know? So I, I, I consider you in the same uh, category of like completeness, you know, when it comes to content. So, so you definitely do deliver that uh, value, which brings me to the next uh, yeah. the next mantra that you have on that, on that, on that point, Sabir. One, one really interesting thing I think if, if people write, right, uh, the 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 thing that should be driving an individual who is especially writing to teach. So that's the very important phrase. Are you write to teach? Mm -hmm. And that, that sort of powers my thinking, right? So on my blog, you will find no mentions that you should hire me as a consultant. You will find no mentions that you should hire me for speaking engagements. Nothing. That is, I want nothing from you. <laughs> not even ads on the site, right? Yeah. It's, it's purely to teach. Um, but if you're doing that, the, 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 you have to keep in mind this important thing. is like first job is to figure out how to teach somebody how to think differently about something. And then mm -hmm. you have to tell them how to actually execute that plan. And, yeah. and, and as long as those two pieces are there, usually people have the second one, don't have the first one. Then you're like, well, I don't understand why I need to do all this stuff. Or very often people have the first one, but not the second. So mm -hmm. like, okay, you're teaching how to do this. You didn't tell me how to do it. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, having a combination of those two things together when you write or, 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 or teach in any scenario uh, allows the content to live a lot longer than it otherwise might. So, so people, somebody just, asked me a question, because my email is on my blog. They asked me a question about an article I had written 11 years ago. They, they, they wrote it last night. I said, this is phenomenal. I'm implementing all this stuff. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, this is 11 years ago. But they can find, still find it, because it's the article is geared towards you know, teach a man to fish. That's yep. the spirit. And so it lasts longer. But if I'm just telling you, here's how you pull a report from Google Analytics, it might become Dang. stale in a year because Google Analytics changed entirely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. So bringing me to the next point, think book, not, not diary. Oh, yeah. I, I think it follow, follows that same philosophy, right? Exactly. Exactly. We touched on this a little bit. But but um, one of the things that, that a lot of people had said, and I, now I can vouch for it, is that there is nobody in the world who cares about your feelings. There's nobody in the world that cares about what you think about, you know, let's say President Trump or uh, Vice President Biden, right? Yeah. Nobody cares about, nobody cares that you woke up and and wrong side of bed or that your UPS delivery is late. Those are all entries for your diary. Things mm -hmm. that make you happy, these are making you happy. The, the, what people care about is the value you can bring to them. And so this idea that you're not writing a diary, you're writing a book is to say, you know, all those personal annoying things that you don't like or whatever, keep them on the side. Use Twitter. Twitter can be your diary. It's fine. But when, you, when you're in a professional space and trying to establish a brand for yourself, what you want to do is think like a book. Think like you're writing a chapter for a book. And what it does is suddenly elevates the seriousness of what you're doing. Suddenly you begin to think differently. You begin to think of the consumer at the other end. You think about somebody paying you to read your blog post. I mean, it's free. But as you start to, to adopt that persona, you'll write differently. You'll communicate differently. The, the value you'll deliver will be completely different. So on my blog, mm -hmm. I have in, in, in all of these years, I'm not even sure I've written two blog posts that have been off topic. 
I think one of them was was I very early on. I wrote a blog post like, "Oh, my daughter has to get this surgery, so I'm not going to write for 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 a while." She was very young, and mm -hmm. so that was one off-topic blog post. <laughs> the second one was the, the the proposition in in California to recognize gay marriage, and I wrote a post saying, "If you're in California, I want to use my platform to say, please vote for equality and civil rights." Other than that. There's nothing on my blog post that is deviates from marketing and analytics. It's like insanely focused. And, and in this world where there is an infinite amount of content, mm -hmm. if you want to build a brand for yourself, it's really important to build a brand for, for a very specific narrow or one or two narrow things that you, you want to stand out for, you want to rank for, you want to be known for. Because mm -hmm. being known for a thousand things is impossible. So initially for me, it was only analytics, like the first 100 blog posts, only yeah. nothing else. Nothing else. <laughs> it's sort of moved into marketing, right? And then you can see it moved into leadership. How do you be a great leader? And then it kind of began to move into artificial intelligence. That mirrors my career, and it's now four topics instead of one. But it's really important to focus. If you don't focus, you talk about a 1,000 things. You're known for nothing. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's another saying. Yeah, there's another saying. Uh, you can't boil the ocean, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know. So if you if you um, you know th you think that you want to write about everything, you end up being nothing to no one, you know. But if you if you believe in uh, so one of the guests I had was uh, Christina, fully raw Christina. She's a vegan. She lives that lifestyle. Everything about her screams raw vegan. You know, yeah. um, that's her life basically. <laughs> Every aspect of her, everything that you know, and you know that that's the person you want to go to if you want to. If you're thinking of a raw veganism, for example, right? So it, it, it's that sort of a dedication that it becomes your religion and it becomes your life. But if you if you start writing about everything, you're not going to, because then you're using a tool to, the data tells you that this is a trendy thing. So everybody jumps on it, you know? And so, you, okay, you, you want to be a trendy or you want to be, a, you know, a class that people can relate to and they want to come back to you because you become the source of that information, you know. I agree. Look, a, a simple way to think about it is if you want to get 100 page views for everything you write, it's non, it's trivial. I mean, sure, 70 of them will be bots, but mm -hmm. it's not that hard. Yeah. You want to get 100,000 page views for the thing you write, now you're a whole new ballgame. You want to get half a million page views for you write, it, it's, it's going to take a lot of focus, love, effort, and dedication. And so... It, Think, think of how, how far you want to go. And, and if you want to go far, it's really important to understand two things, right? One is that you, you have to have that introspection to be able to figure out what makes you special. It, it's not a mm -hmm. question people can answer easily, right? What makes you special? This planet has billions of people. What makes you special? And, and so answer that question is a very, very hard question to answer. And then the second thing is, what are you doing to make sure that you stay special, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, how are you going to stay current? I think if, if there's one thing I'm proud of is when I started, there were tons of web analytics blogs. And, and I, I remark with a small sense of pride that like 12, 15 years later, I still have a blog that rank is still there, still being updated, still relevant. And almost mm -hmm. every other blog I started with died like years ago. And longevity is a very, very hard thing to pull off. Um, but but it's those two questions, right? It's a really important two questions to answer. And if you do, I think you'll do great. I mean, especially if it's your life and you love what you're doing, right? Yes. 
that patience and persistence is going to be part of you because it is part of you, right? Compared to people who do it because, oh, nobody's covering this topic. I'm going to jump into it. Good. Yeah. But are you going to stick it out? Exactly. That, I mean, I, I can tell you in the example I just used of, of raw veganism, there are certain, you can go on YouTube and I'm not making this up. You can go on YouTube and you can find people that um, they, they, they produce, they were vegan for six months and then they uh, let it go, right? And they have content, plenty of content in, for six months and then it died. And then when the channel came back on, now they're no longer vegan at all. <laughs> but the content is still there. That's the vegan. If somebody fast forwards to the current episodes, they can see that the person is not vegan. They might actually get angry at them because that's that's a uh, it's an ethical question too, you know. Yeah. Uh, just kind of to fast forward. Now you and I have been in this field for decades, right? I not not to show our age, you know, we're very young guys. <laughs> But from your perspective, how has data analytics and insights changed over the decades, in your opinion? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great question. You know, my my uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Stephen Turner, he's at Cambridge, in in England. He he wrote uh, Analog, which is the first web weblog parsing solution in the world. Um, so if you've ever parsed weblogs, you've used Dr. Turner's software, which is he. And I, I think back to days when we were parsing weblogs and we were reporting hits. Hits. How yes. many hits did you get? And yeah. hits, you know, stands for how idiots track success. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so come a long way, right, from tracking hits. Um, but I think a, a few of the big changes I might say is one of the things is um, we, we've actually shifted in a very fundamental way from looking at. IT metrics, you know, where is the server up, how many hits has it gotten and things like that, to actual business metrics. So we can actually understand users, we can understand people, we can understand revenue, profit. All of these things were so hard to do over, over the years. So that's one big change. Second big change is just how easy it is to do analytics now. Mm -hmm. So unless you were a pseudo hacker, you know, even 10 years ago, you had to be a JavaScript king to be able to figure out how the hell to use Urchin or Omniture or these, these solutions that were there. And today, you could use Google Analytics, you could use Adobe Analytics, you could use any other analytics solution in the marketplace. And literally, literally, you could get 80% of what you want in less than five minutes. You update the standard tag, boom. You get it, right? You could, you could pay for it. You buy solutions from Adobe, and they're excellent. You could get a solution from Google that is free. You can get a solution that you can pay for from Google that is free. But the fact that, that, that you can have a free tool that is enterprise class, they can get you up and running in five minutes, transformational change over the decades. Like literally anybody can do it. My mom can do it. It's, it's, it's so easy. I, I mean, I'm platforms, I mean, if you look at platforms like Shopify, all you need is the UTM, I mean, the UA tag from yes. Google Analytics. All you, that's a text. You Boom. just put that ID in, You're done. Uh, you know, Shopify takes care of everything else for everything you. Else. So, so tools is a big shift over the decades. And the third thing, of course, is the, just the number of people with expertise who are playing in the space. It's a huge space. You're a web analyst with any experience. You are a hot commodity. You have been a hot commodity for a decade. And you'll be a hot commodity for the next couple of decades. The only condition is you're good. It's a small, small condition. <laughs> yeah. As long as that condition is met. I'm not even saying great. I'm saying good. You're going to be great. So, 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 so 
So that's the third thing. And then the fourth thing is just this, ma I, I, I sincerely believe in the pandemic and this, this very sad pandemic we are in, one of the things that it is is completely transformed and accelerated the shift to digital, right? Totally. And over the last nine months, the impact on, on the shift to digital means ever more serious questions are getting asked and, and data is getting, getting used to answer important serious questions. So that's like the fourth thing. So for the longest time we reported hits, uh, you know, how many sessions I had, you know, the page views. Page views is a dumb metric, right? It's a dumb mm. metric. And 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 we're we're beyond that. And we're doing serious business questions, answering serious questions with, with the solutions we have. So those are four big transformational changes that I've seen um, related to what we were doing a few years ago uh, to what we're doing now. And then we have ways to go. Look, we're, we're not all done with, integrating enterprise solutions, uh, sorry, across the entire enterprise. You know, digital still remains in a silo for the most part. That's something I worry about in my role at Google. Um, and that the speed at which we can take the data and convert into action still is a work in progress. So we've we've got some ways to go and we can talk about that later. Later. Today. I mean, Google Analytics does give you, I mean, with the, with the current iteration that I've seen, for people who want that help, it does give you some insights based on what at least Google Analytics is seeing as one of those pop-ups. It comes up when you log in. It says, oh, we saw that this pop page is more popular or it's trending up. It's starting to, you know, it's, it's well, a no, beginning it step. Um, and in fact, if you looked at the announcements this past week, uh, yeah. which is the launch of Google Analytics 4.0, yep. uh, so the first big launch, uh, yeah. the two big things in that launch, there are many wonderful, beautiful things in launch, but the two big I'll highlight for our audiences. First, it unifies the experience across mobile apps and, mo and the web. It's a mm -hmm. big, big change. Like somebody's using your app to do things, and somebody's using your website to do things on the desktop. It's a unified experience, and analytics, you can track people across both of them really comfortably and easily. So that's one big one. But the second one is all the machine learning-based uh, innovations. So when you pop open Google Analytics 4.0 on the top left, you'll see an entire dedicated section uh, that is driven on machine learning that will actually tell you where to look and what to look for. So it'll say, oh, I found this insight automatically. I found this insight automatically. And we had an earlier feature that I had worked on in Google Analytics called Google Analytics Intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, I was working with the Google Analytics team. I, I, I have a different role now. Uh, but this new launch is like so much better than Google Analytics Intelligence. Uh, it's driven off machine learning. It's deeper and wider in terms of things it's able to do. Uh, so these tools are becoming very, very smart. I mean, basically now, if you are a, if you are early in your web analytics journey, literally you can implement Google Analytics like you said with the shop pike, uh, put the UTM code, boom, done. In a couple of days, three, four, five days, let the algorithms learn your website, and and let Google Analytics tell you, without you having to hunt and pack. And and that mm -hmm. is a very different reality today. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. Very cool. So I'm going to throw something at you because oh, from my perspective, this is something people usually confuse, you know, people sure. even in business, they confuse uh, these terms and, and they use it interchangeably, which in my view are completely different things. Web analytics, customer analytics, um, and, and something like um, uh, product analytics or e-commerce analytics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because they all use all of it at once, and and like looking at something like Google Analytics, uh, it doesn't give you all of those things, right? None of the other web analytics tools either. You know, that's where you have to use something like a CRM type analytics to get the to the customer level. What yeah, are yeah. your thoughts on that? 
think about the life cycle of, of a customer interaction with you, right? Yeah. So I'll put product analytics first, right? I'll put product analytics first in the sense that, for example, if you, my ex-employer was, was into it. So you're using QuickBooks, you're using TurboTax, or, or, or my car emails me when the air pressure is low in the tires. It emails me and says, go fill, <laughs> go fill your tires, right? It's yeah. insane. So take these examples, right? Whether it's a car sending out data or, or it's your, your products, it's really important to understand how your products are performing. Uh, are they doing well? Where do customers get lost? Uh, what things are they using more? What things are they using less? So we run Google Analytics on Google Analytics. It mm -hmm. helps us understand how many people use segmentation and understand mm -hmm. how many people create custom reports, things like that, right? Yeah. So that's all product analytics. And, and that's, I put that upfront in the life cycle because you have to understand how customers use your product so you can make them better. This kind of data typically won't be in a web analytics tool. Probably have a custom solution running it. If your product is entirely online, you can definitely use Google Analytics for it. But usually, mm -hmm. but in there within let's it, though, the let's, life cycle is let's stay let's stay with the the product data. analytics. So within it, there are other other tools that you could use, like reviews, for example. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yes, of course, of course. No, those are to me. Those are also data. Whether you're selling on Amazon or Shopify or any of or, or, or any other e-commerce platform. Reviews are also a data point, not just a hard survey, but actual people giving you feedback in addition to the collection of data, you know, passively that you're collecting it, you know, versus actively where customers are giving you their opinion. So product analytics is usually geared towards figuring out what is what is working, what is not working, and then what do customers like and appreciate more than others. So reviews and a whole bunch of other things can fall into that category. But product analytics is, 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 is a very important cluster by itself. Then sort of the next thought you have is, oh, I have a good product. Now I want to sell it. I'm trying to figure out how, how to find people who, will, who I can build relationships with who can buy my product now or in the future. And that's squarely in the field of web analytics, right? On your side, away from your side, competitive intelligence, all this stuff. So for example, Sabir, if you and I are competing, you have a website, I have a website. I can go to, to competitive intelligence website right now and figure out how much traffic you get. Where do you get traffic mm -hmm. from? I can go to similar web, right? You get a yeah. free report. It gives me all those details. So um, understanding your competition, understanding what's happening on your website, understanding your conversions, understanding performance of product page, improving your product pages so it doesn't suck so much. <laughs> all that is web analytics, right? And it goes it goes from the very first. Sucking is a technical term. <laughs> yes. No, <laughs> suck less is a very big hashtag of mine. I always use the hashtag suck less. Life goals suck less. Um, um, but but from the time finding customers to they becoming customers, so finding people to them becoming customers, that's web analytics. Then the third stage of the life cycle is once I acquire customers, what happens to them? What is the churn rate? What is the retention rate? How how what is the the repeat purchase rate? What what does it all that stuff around ensuring you nurture and foster a loyal customer community is customer analytics. Usually this stuff doesn't happen in web analytics tools. So think of those three pieces attached like that. Product analytics first, web analytics next, customer analytics last. And so a solution like uh, Sugar CRM, uh, a solution like Salesforce, or our hundreds of its competitors squarely fall, fall, fall into CRM. And in CRM, you're trying to understand what your customer dynamics at the moment, 
uh, how to improve repurchase rate, how to increase loyalty, how to do all kinds of things. Uh, so for example, what, what does it matter if I do events in a local city? Does it improve my loyalty with customers versus if I do no events in a city? Um, AT&T the other day sent me a proactive email saying, oh, we found that you are signed up for this plan, but you're not using it. So we recommend you downgrade to this plan that wow. will save you X amount of money. That mm -hmm. is customer antics of the best freaking kind <laughs> because I'm like, what? You're telling me to give you less money? Now, now Sadir, imagine how much more loyal I'm going to be to AT&T. I'm, I'm not canceling AT&T phone service, right? Actually, Avinash, what I can say to you, that's incredible, by the way, number one. Uh, yeah. So kudos to AT&T. How many times I've been to these kind of plan sites where I, I find out that I'm not using a certain service and I want to downgrade, and there is no downgrade button. There's always no, no. an upgrade button. And then there is a down. I have to hunt for an 800 number to downgrade. Exactly. And I have to Google it in order to find somebody who complained and said, by the way, here's a 800 number I found that you can call. It's not published, but you can call them and they will downgrade you after you tell them what's going on. Yeah, no, it is. It is. I, I think with Xfinity is the same or, or, or severe for, for that matter. Like when I was buying the phone, one of the things they're selling, of course, is the, the service in case your phone breaks, things like yeah. that. And they're like, oh, pay us $149 right now. And in all font, it says, uh, but we have deductible. Like, okay, so I clicked on it to find out. It's impossible to find out what the deductible is. And guess what? I didn't buy the service. And that kind of thing, that kind of analytics forms, it's in that cluster of customer analytics to be able to understand what, what motivates certain kind of behavior. So you're, you're right to recommend all three clusters. Product analytics is important. Well, analytics is important. Customer analytics is important. They do tend to be not two overlapping, just some overlapping things. So there's mm -hmm. things to learn as the interactions between those two things, each of those three clusters, if you will. Um, but at the moment, uh, you you know, you and I are not going to go out in the market and say, oh, here is one solution that does everything. Mm -hmm. If you do find one, I guarantee to you it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. doesn't bring you home. Yes. It doesn't. For now, no you're better thing. off moving the specialized solution in this case. Um, and 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 using them to make better decisions. Yeah, I mean, it's actually that's that tends to be one of the hardest discussions with people who don't understand that those types of analytics are different types of tools. Currently, it's not one unified tool. It's it's multiple tools, right? And some of it because of privacy policy. Also, like if you use no, exactly. Google Analytics, exactly. I cannot take something like an email address and tell Google that this email address identifies my customer. That violates terms and conditions and privacy policy, GDPR. You can, you name it. You know, and and Google Analytics actually tells you in their agreement, don't do that. You know, do no, not no, load. You're absolutely right. Privacy is very important. Any web analytics tool you will buy from any company, or you don't buy a web analytics tool and you use your web logs to do web analytics. Let's say, which is that that's yeah. still possible 20 years later. <laughs> you cannot store PII anywhere. Personally yep. identified information, you cannot even save it in your web logs. It's prohibited by the government and the various regulations. So what you end up doing is saying, ah, I can capture the order ID in, in yeah. Google Analytics. I, I can capture that. Or in Adobe Analytics, I can capture the order ID. And what I'll do is I'll pass that order ID into my CRM system 
which is different, regulated by different legal requirements. And there, the order ID can be joined with some customer information, and I can do some analytics. I can reverse engineer that to come up with exactly. my analytics. Exactly. So yeah. you can pass data back and forth, right? So to Google Analytics, you can pass data from your product solutions about the product ID and product name and things like that. Google Analytics can use it from Google Analytics. You can pass the order ID onto the CRM system. So there's some connective tissue you can have between these solutions. But certainly, you would not use your uh, web analytics tools from any company or even your own company to collect PII information, pub, uh, personally identified information, because most governments and countries prohibit that from being the case. Truly. Um, I, another, because I want, I want to dispel some of these misunderstandings, right, with, with our audience. People also use two, these two words, like, or, or, or acronyms, like interchangeably, which are completely different. And I, I think, uh, you actually hate this too, because uh, I've seen your writing on it. KPI and metrics. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know, to to some level, I, I I forgive people a little bit when they mix it up, but especially when experienced people do it, it, it is certainly insanely annoying. Um, <laughs> so, a simplest way for our audience to think about this is a metric is any number. So you're temperature currently if you use a thermometer is is a metric right yeah. uh, blood pressure is a metric uh, so page views is a metric bounce rate is a metric so on and so forth so metric is any number a key performance indicator a kpi is a metric that ties to your company's bottom line so for example page views is a metric it will never be a kpi because you and I can do a lot of nefarious things to get hundreds of millions of page views, we may still stay as poor as we are today. <laughs> page views don't make money, right? Yeah. Happy page views definitely don't make us money, so it doesn't qualify. On the other hand, conversion rate can be a KPI because conversion rate is tied to your bottom line. You have a higher conversion rate, you make more money, it's tied to the bottom line of your business. Revenue, profit, these are KPIs, right? Or um, uh, it doesn't always have to be financial, right? You, you can have, uh, if you're a content website, loyalty and recency can be a KPI. Both can be KPI. So loyalty mm -hmm. is, um, um, uh, do you come back to our website again and again? That's loyalty. Mm -hmm. And recency is how many times, how, what's the gap between two visits? So for example, for the New York Times, I have I pay I have a paid subscription to the New York Times. I'm very loyal to them because I go to the website many times. And the recency is I go to the website multiple times a day. Wow. It's great loyalty, great recency. So your so recency is not, like a couple hours ago. Exactly. So, yeah. so these two are not like you don't you don't think of them in financial measures. But if those two numbers are going up, you bet your bottom, New York Times is making money. Mm -hmm. So anything tied directly to making money becomes a KPI. Everything else is a metric. It doesn't mean metrics are useless. It's just that as you go up the chain of command and, and you or you prioritize what should I focus on, you're going to focus on a KPI. And, and if you're a business, you should never have more than three KPIs, maybe three, at most four, right? As long as you have four, so because four things that drive your entire existence and focus. And, mm -hmm. and if you have four KPIs, it means you first, you know what the hell you're doing. Very mm -hmm. important, kind of sort of important. If you have 20 KPIs, it is directly means you have no idea what the hell you're doing. <laughs> and the second thing is, with that focus, you won't let your attention be diverted by distractions. 
like these okay. are my four KPIs. I'm going to solve for them. And underneath that, you'll say, oh, for solving this KPI, I need to look at these metrics, right? Blah, blah, blah. And so, so you'll you'll do that analysis, but don't have more than three or four KPIs. I'm going to use a pretty deep, maybe dark example. You're 45 years old. What have you done with your life? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you, you might trigger a midlife crisis right there. <laughs> That's a that's the difficult. This is a good explanation of of a yeah. metric versus KPI. You know, um, so just kind of uh, some other uh, terms that people um, do uh, come across quite a bit, and there's misunderstanding around it. CPM, CPA, uh, CPO also, and CAC. Uh, uh, you know, CAC, uh, and there are so many different uh, acronyms. Um, what 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 is important in what type of business, you know, from your perspective, e-commerce versus content? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, to 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 separate some of those those uh, the ones that you mentioned. Uh, so, CPM is a useless metric. Don't don't use it. I mean, it, it's a currency that advertisers use. It stands for cost per CPM is cost per thousand. You know, how many? What does it cost you to get a thousand impressions? Um, and it's a it's a useless. I wrote a newsletter about this recently. About how much I hate CPM and the fact that the display and video advertising business runs on CPM, because all it says is you, uh, I am let's say uh, Nissan, right, and and I uh, showed a hundred thousand people my display ads, and so I'm like okay, and I did so at a very cheap CPM. I'm like okay, well, this probably was on crappy websites, right? <laughs> uh, that's how you get a cheap CPM. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't say anything about business success. So I, I, I'm not a big fan of that metric. Um, I, in, the, in the newsletter, the, the, the newsletter I wrote, I said, okay, you should, guys should focus on these, these, these metrics, right? And, and, uh, and maybe, maybe for your write-up, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link that you can include, Sabir, uh, because it's, really it's only for the it. premium subscribers. But I'll, I'll send you a link and you can include it in, a, in your write-up so we can go to your, your premium audience as well. Um, uh, so, so that can answer that. The, the other sets of metrics you mentioned are more interesting, which is CPA, of course, stands for cost for acquisition. And so, for example, what does it cost you to acquire one customer? Usually, CPA is a metric used in context of web analytics, right, or, mm -hmm. or, or AdWords or Bing and so on and so forth. And so basically, it just says, oh, um, I converted one person. Sabir came to my website and purchased a phone, and that, that advertising expense was was eighteen dollars. It cost me. It was eighteen dollars a click, on mm -hmm. Bing, to 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 get to in front of Sabir, and he came to the site. So your CPA becomes eighteen dollars. So that's that's mm -hmm. a simple metric. Uh, CAC is 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 usually used in a financial cost, cost uh, financial sense. Usually web analysts don't use CAC, uh, but if if you hear CAC from somebody. Because um, it's also customer acquisition cost. That, that's what it is. CAC is customer acquisition cost. But usually it's used by our financial colleagues because it'll have some nuances inside it. They might take into account depreciation or they might take into account other things, financial elements. So it tends to be a, a better metric than CPA because CPA is just taking into account advertising cost. But mm -hmm. CAC might be taking into account other costs for the company as well. So usually we won't see it, but our financial uh, colleagues, they definitely use it. I always say that cost is very important. Always look at the cost for, for an acquisition, right? Look at a cost it takes you to acquire a customer. But what you don't want to do is look at cost in a silo. Mm -hmm. Cost is what is known as an efficiency metric. Cost mm -hmm. per click, cost per acquisition, cost for anything, right? Cost to load a web page. Mm -hmm. so it's an efficiency metric. It says, oh, 
last last acquisition we had was ten dollars. It cost us eighteen dollars to acquire Sabir. That's inefficient, right? Because eighteen is more than ten. What ends up happening is if you only look at efficiency as a metric, um, I can get hundred percent of the conversion rate if I just acquire one customer. Mm -hmm. Is that a good thing? No, no, no. That that's really bad thing. You don't want a hundred percent conversion rate, right? Mm -hmm. So, so what I recommend to people is have one efficiency metric, and have one effectiveness metric. So, uh, cost per acquisition becomes an efficiency metric, and our effectiveness metric is revenue. Mm -hmm. So you can't have only very efficient campaigns because they might not bring you as much revenue as you want. So we mm -hmm. find this nice balance. It's like, oh, we're willing to accept a cost in this range. Mm -hmm. and in the range here's the revenue we can expect. Because most, some companies, especially smaller companies will say, um, I do not want to acquire anybody for more than $4, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. And let's say at that money, you make $150,000. But it is very common that, that um, so, so sorry. So you're making $8 a profit on everybody. Mm -hmm. So you pay four dollars of cost. That means you now only have four dollars left, right? So somebody will say, "I'll never pay more than four bucks." But the interesting mm -hmm. thing is, it happens very commonly that you end up saying, "Actually, you know what? I'm willing to pay up to six dollars of cost, which means you're making less money. You're only making two dollars now instead of mm -hmm. four. But for that six dollars, you can triple your revenue." Now that kind of analysis is really important to do. Don't get obsessed only on cost. What it does is it reduces growth opportunities. So, so, so you 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 get inspiration for Walmart. Walmart only makes ten cents from everything it sells, but man, it sells a hundred. The velocity. <laughs> and a hundred billion dollars of ten cents is a lot of money. Like Walmart said, "No way! I I I want to make twenty cents. No, I don't want to make ten cents." then of course Walmart's going to make a lot less money. So it's just a sophisticated thinking. But if you adopt the mantra that I'm going to have an effectiveness metric and an efficiency metric, you'll do great. Because making revenue at any cost is stupid. You don't make money by exchanging, by telling people, I'll give you $20 for every $10 bill. <laughs> don't do that. You want to be on the other side of it. <laughs> for example, like being, being an advertiser, if you want to give me, if you want to exchange for 50 cents or or half half the money because you're not even getting your gross profit out of it. Actually, just a couple of things uh, where what you said there. Uh, number one, uh, when it comes to CAC, so I, I do consider CAC an important metric okay. outside of financial because you being an e-commerce person, you have to look at the full picture and and find out, you know how we talked about customer analytics and stuff? Financial analytics of your business is also important. And as an e-commerce analyst, you should understand the financial aspects of it, not necessarily depreciation and appreciation, all that stuff, just at least understanding if you're in a business, let's call it a vitamin business, right? Where um, when I buy that vitamin, I'm not going to buy it once. I'm going to need it every 30 days because the bottle is going to run out, right? So that's a replenishable product. It has retention built into it. So even if I want to give that first bottle and break even, meaning that my I got my cost back of the product, I got my dollar that I had spent on 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 acquiring that or whatever the number is, uh, and so it was equal. Like let's let's say I was selling it for twenty bucks, ten dollars. Okay, that, that that was my base cost, and I spent ten dollars to acquire it. Basically, I made nothing. You know, on that on that first customer acquisition, it was zero. Right, yep. I made zero profit on it. 
but I know that I'm in a, in a business that has replenishment built into it. So I can, I can based if I know my LTV and I understand my RFM, LTV is lifetime value. Mm -hmm. RFM mm -hmm. is recency frequency monetary, monetary value. If I set up those kind of programs properly and I'm getting efficient over time, then I can be making, so I can, I can set that metric up and go to the marketer and say, look, you are allowed to spend this much because I know that when you acquire them, you're not making money on that first one, but I know that I, the programs are really good and I would be able to have a second transaction, third transaction. And then that's where after second or third transaction is when, when the loyalty, that's how I measure loyalty, not customer acquisition is customer acquisition is the first metric. Customer loyalty starts with second or third order. Now it's like, you know, in the dating scene, right? Uh, the first time you're going on a date, you won't call that person your wife, you know, or your husband. You know, you won't do that. It in, sounds insane, right? You, why is it okay for you to say it in marketing? You know, like that person just tried you for the first time, right? Maybe the second or third date, maybe the hopes are up now. Maybe if they're up with you and they're buying on a monthly basis or every, once a quarter over the past, next two, three years, now we can say that there is a relationship there. But before that, there is no relationship. It's just, it's trial. It's, it's well, a I, step I, above sampling, you know, call it. I, I, I agree with you. I, I met the CMO of uh, LL Bean a long time ago. You know, LL Bean, they sell clothing uh, yep. through catalogs and things like that. And, and he, we were having a discussion about customer analytics. And one of the things he said is, in our CRM system at LL Bean, we don't consider you to be a customer the first time you buy because you might not have had a choice or you bought something by mistake. Mm -hmm. When you buy the second time, we consider you a customer because you made a choice to come back to us. And I thought that was such a great philosophy. That's incredible, yep, exactly. Phenomenal philosophy to have because I might be running somewhere and I forgot my jacket and I might have said, oh, here's LL Bean, let me just take a jacket from them now. I, I mean, I didn't really have a choice in making, I was just cold. But if I go love the jacket, come back, buy another jacket from LL Bean, that's when you become a customer. I love that philosophy of setting a higher bar for who we as a company consider a customer. So everybody at LL Bean is focused on that second purchase, not the first one. They're mm -hmm. not being aggressively pushy and say, but it's like you bought something. Now, how, how can we create that to be such a great experience? You'll buy another time. It literally changes the entire mentality of the company. I thought it was such a great lesson for me to learn. I, I thought it was beautiful. I think the reward system, internal reward system for your company and your employees and stuff, as well as front facing to the customer, then it, that becomes a meaningful customer loyalty program, right? But both internally, it doesn't have to be a card, you know? It's just them coming back and keep on buying from you, that shows there's no need for you to create a VIP card, you know, no, to exactly, identify exactly. people. We were very loyal customers of LLB, both because our kids have schools and they need uniforms and things like yeah. that. Uh, but we're very loyal customers of LLB. And to the best of my knowledge, we are not on any loyalty program. I'm not, I don't think we're on any of it. But it's just, it's a great product, marketed really well, lasts a long time, fantastic return service if you ever want to return something. And so we're, we're, you got to think about your company from that long-term lens, exactly as you're saying, Sabir. I think you're absolutely so right to highlight the value of thinking about customer analytics and, and, and that, that entire experience from a very different lens. So I, I want to get your opinion on this. Um, what I have started doing, because I've been in e-commerce for, for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. um, I just got tired of people talking about um, 
the KPI being conversion rate because everybody talks about conversion rate. And then, then I go like, what do you mean by conversion rate? They, they say, oh, it's when people visit your site and the number of purchases. Oh, you mean purchase conversion rate. Okay, why are you, why are you measuring that? <laughs> because we want to know how many people converted. But you're getting the number of orders. You know, you know how many people converted. You know, for me, and, and it has been now, this is how I've been scaling businesses. Uh, it, it, here's a secret, everyone. I'm, I'm giving it out on the show now. The metrics, the two metrics as an e-commerce person, and I've, I've scaled businesses like this, you know, the two metrics that I really care about is bounce rate and session duration. To me, those two tell me 100% um, of traffic that came in, how many of them stayed beyond the first page, right? To me, I mean, the, people who understand social media understand what I'm doing. That's the engagement rate. You know, that's the engagement rate that they liked your photo, they commented on it, they went back and forth in replies. That's engagement, right? Equivalent of that in web analytics is people showed up on your site, they did not bail out on the first page, they went into second and third, and you, can, you should measure every one of those levels. And how long did they stay, right? I come across so much uh, uh, web analytics or Google analytics session duration, uh, 90, 95% of uh, traffic bounced. Consistently, every month over month. When I look at that, I go like, wow, how much marketing dollars? You know that whole traditional thing people talk about? What is the dollar that's wasted? 50 cents is late wasted for every dollar you spend in marketing? That's 90 cents being wasted, you know, to yeah. me, you know? Mm -hmm. And and the session duration also tells me, is your site interesting enough? Like the content that you just put in front of me, because you drove me there, was it interesting enough to keep me engaged on your site? If the answer is no, if the answer is less than 10 seconds, that's it. Because it's also those two things between the fact that 90% jumped uh, off the cliff, basically, you had only 10% of people. So your conversion rate being less than 1%, to me, is a derivative. That has no meaning to me. Like first fix the, the audience you're bringing to the table, right? Because the thing is, in a lot of organizations, there's a misalignment of the person who runs the Facebook ads versus the e-commerce person who runs the website. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that disconnect actually ends up costing the company a lot of money. You know, because well, I, I, I I concur with you. You know, years ago when I first wrote about bounce rate, you know, I said I, I defined bounce rate as I came, I puked, I left. <laughs> that, that's how you should think about it, because. Uh, there are, there are a couple of different things about bounce rate I think that are very, very good, which is the first one is bounce rate is a metric that uh, helps you understand that you don't have one homepage, you have hundreds of homepages because people enter your website anywhere. So right. I always say start by looking at the top landing pages report and your homepage might not even be the Top 10 like the first or 15. Or right, it might be like yeah. the fifth ranked page. Yeah. It's really important to understand, and it changes this paradigm because most e-commerce people, what they'll do is they'll put like the coolest stuff on their homepage or they'll only focus on the homepage. Don't focus A on- A hero homepage. image this big. <laughs> exactly, it's just so silly, right? Every yeah. what The page I land on your website is the homepage for me. That's where yeah. I landed, right? Yeah. So the first thing is this idea that uh, Bansrit uh, helps us think about is there are basically there are, you have a hundred uh, homepages. Are they all good or not, right? So I always recommend, look at the top 20 landing pages and then look at bounce rates because it's telling you how many people refuse to go beyond that first page, 
Um, and the second one is to 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 just give a metaphor for what you mentioned. Uh, my friend Brian Eisenberg uh, had said, you know, bounce rate helps you measure if you have any scent, right? Mm -hmm. Which is you saw an ad or you saw an organic search result for X, Y, Z and, and whatever. And when you land on the page, does it have scent? Does it continue that, that relevance? Uh, mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, I saw this page about boxing gloves. I saw an ad about boxing gloves. I clicked on it. You dumped me on the homepage. I mean, what the hell is wrong with you? That is a terrible scent, right? So, mm -hmm. so I, 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 a while back, you know, in one of my posts, I had said, um, 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 uh, uh, never write checks your website can't cash. Mm -hmm. you know, never let your ads write checks your website can't cash. And so Bounce Rate helps you fix that. And then the last one, of course, is, is, is Bounce Rate is really good at uh, creating an incentive for your marketers to create good ads, right? Mm -hmm. create, create good ads tied. Because what marketers normally care about is only the advertising. They don't care about the landing page. They don't care about the promo there. They don't care about the buttons and things like that. So it incentivizes everybody in the company to do the right thing. So that's a really good metric to have. Um, and, and session duration is a good metric. Um, if you are a content person, uh, a, a great metric is page depth. So mm -hmm. it's a corollary of it. If session duration measures how long you were there. Uh, but in because Web Analytics tool can't capture your time on the last page, so then page depth, what allows you is how many pages did you visit. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's a, like a really nice combination to help you under, understand the depth of engagement. And so uh, you can measure things like a number of pages to conversion. So that tells me how good or bad the site is. And if it's a simple product, it's it's you've done a good job. You should not have that many pages to conversion, right? Don't that 23 is a lot. Why mm -hmm. is it taking 23? I have a simple project, uh, product. Uh, uh, how can I, something is wrong, right? Um, so it's there are a couple of really good ways to think about it. Um, and and the one I would add, to, given our audience, is I, I find a little bit heartbreaking that not enough Shopify customers end up using cart abandonment rate as a metric. I, oh, I that's love a good one too, yes. In Google Analytics, it's available everywhere. So there's a metric for cart abandonment rate, and there's a metric for checkout abandonment rate. So the first one helps you understand how many people added the product to cart, but then didn't even start the checkout. They just bailed. So mm -hmm. what happened? It's really important. It's so hard to get somebody to hit out to cart. You did that. <laughs> Why didn't they convert? So it's a really good metric to have. And then, of course, it's impossible to get people to get through your checkout successfully. The mm -hmm. money is so close. I can smell it. Why did they abandon in checkout? Was it too long? Did you not have the right fields? Is the coupon code in the wrong place? Da, 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 da. So, the so customer had the credit card in hand. Exactly. You did not close the deal. Literally, if I was in the shop physically, they have it in their hand like this. Yeah, they're lining up. They're lining and, up to pay. No, they're, they're in front of you. <laughs> they, all you have to do is take their cart, run it to the, through the machine, and you missed it. You missed it from there, you know. So it, that's it, a metric that I, I love, and I, I'd love for your, your colleagues to also uh, think about, because cart and checkout abandonment rate help you uh, make more money. There's nothing tied closer to making money than those two guys. So let's say I want, I'm a business owner. Uh, you know, uh, somebody told me to spend money on Facebook or Google, you know, ads, uh, paid media. How do I budget? Where do I even start? So, 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 what do you what? So, I always tell people you should have an owned, earned, and paid strategy. So, owned, earned, and paid. So, if you're a small business, the the thing that I recommend is um, uh, focus on 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 owned, 
and and then uh, then move to earned and then move to paid. If I'm at a slightly larger business, I might do own paid and earned because of the speed at which paid can deliver results. So first thing is think of those three things. Don't make a decision in silo. So mm -hmm. for example, if you only go with paid or you don't have good owned and earned, it's a very bad way to lose a lot of money fast. Mm -hmm. You're gonna spend money to to do the, all this stuff, but you're not doing anything to retain, like anything to build the muscle inside your company to retain it. So owned, earned plus paid. Remember that three three things together. For me, then it is it is a matter of understanding where are the big gaps in our owned uh, and earned strategy that I need to fill in with paid. So here's a very simple example. If you've done a really good job at SEO, you probably rank very well for your brand terms, right? Mm -hmm. Sabirrocks.com slash strictly business. That you got that nailed, right? You you <laughs> you've got that nailed and and it's great. But you might have a slightly harder time ranking for uh, uh, product terms. You might have a slightly harder time ranking for um, uh, phrases, not keywords. And so what I'll do is, ah, then I'll say, okay, what I can use AdWords, what I can use Bing, what I can use Baidu or Yandex if I'm international, is to mm -hmm. focus on the words that I can't rank for, I'm not going to rank for for a long time because of competition other things, and say, I want to start my page strategy there. Because what your paid strategy is doing is complementing your earned strategy. That's mm -hmm. what it's doing. So I always think that's the best way to start, right? Uh, so for example, with email, you're able. I, I, I am just heartbroken how few businesses use email in a very thoughtful way to market. It's a super. Pro I mean, I of course run do email marketing for myself. You know, I, I so I, 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 I have firsthand knowledge of the power of the platform. So it's mm -hmm. like, oh, I've got a good email strategy. It can get me to these kinds of people, but it won't let me get to these kinds of people I really need. That's the time you say, okay, oh, these people are on these websites. I can buy these kinds of display ads. That would be very relevant. And, mm -hmm. and I'll figure out how to execute that with low bounce rate, low bounce rate. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's my paid strategy. So think of your paid strategy as a complement to your owned and owned strategy. And think of it as a way of it complementing the weaknesses that your owned and earned strategy will have, right? I mean, you're never going to rank for a generic term. It's, it's really, really hard. Nearly impossible. And that's yeah. where you say, okay, I'm going to use paid for this because I'm, there's no way I can get through with organic. But you want to do organic first, right? You start with owned, start with earned, then do paid. So how is the game changing? Because in, in, in your bio, I talked about machine learning and, and artificial oh, intelligence. Yeah. With data, I think there is there is a lot of that coming. But I know also in the marketplace, a lot of uh, SaaS products and other, other ones, I don't want to name them right now, um, they claim, everybody claims, oh, we have built-in AI. <laughs> we have ML. <laughs> like, that's a bunch of garbage, you know? Uh, yeah, from your perspective, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Certainly be, be, um, be um, skeptical, for sure. Be laissez-faire. Exactly. Be skeptical, right? So, so, so I'm very excited about machine. So um, machine learning is one, one type of AI, right? There are many different types of AI, but machine learning is one of them. And inside machine learning, deep learning is the technique that is currently most popular. So when most people say, AI, what they mean is deep learning, right? Which is, which is a technique to implement machine learning. And it's causing an enormous amount of transformation even in our industry, right? So mm -hmm. where is machine learning? So machine learning is really great. So a lot of my work with machine learning is in the healthcare space. 
um, to, to try and figure out if we can detect diabetes faster or cancer faster or those kinds of things. And there it is absolutely transformational. Machine learning algorithms are already better than doctors at detecting all kinds of cancers. They're already way better than doctors yeah. at detecting uh, results of an MRI because all that is data that is very structured. So anomalies are easier to find. And there's also large learning data sets available. So that's where I'm really, really excited. Also, I want, I want to tell our audience, I'm really excited about the use of machine learning in setting bail for people who are caught for crying. Because usually bail is set by a judge. It's hugely biased in the United States. The way you look, you feel can can create. That's why we had protests <laughs> this exactly. summer. <laughs> Using machine learning algorithms to to bring a sense of neutrality to assessing an individual's ability to skip bail that that's been used. So New Jersey has an experiment. I'm very yeah. excited about. There are other states that are doing those experiments, and it is finding that. Judges are wrong like like 40, 50 percent of the time about the in setting bail and the algorithm is uh, wrong maybe 20 percent of the time. It's not perfect, but man, is it better than the human, right? So yeah, 40 versus 20. That's a huge difference. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we're not looking at the color of the person to decide what to do, which is a very difficult problem for our country and I'm very passionate about solving the, the not, not only bail but also you can think about the same application in job candidacy also no, no, oh, exactly like, oh, yeah, oh, by looking oh, at somebody's I, name and making assumptions about that person whether you're assuming their color of skin or maybe their language skills or 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 accents or anything like that you yeah. know by removing it completely you don't know if it's male or female you don't know uh, anything then you're looking at the resume by itself um, I, I think some businesses do a great job. They go out of their way to actually do that when they're when they're putting that resume in front of a manager, the hiring manager, versus uh, people who just take the resume and just put it in front of the hiring manager with the name on it. That person may have a bias, male versus female. It might be an ethnic bias, or it might be even locale bi bias. I don't want to hire New Yorkers because they're too loud. I'm a New Yorker, by the way. Don't scream <laughs> at me. You know, something like that. Or they are going to have a heavy accent because they're from Texas or something like that. A lot of misunderstanding like that. Like, I think there's there are a lot of um, systems where the, the bias is very clear. Like, bail is an example of a job candidacy. That's why you see unemployment in certain uh, ethnicities being double or triple the, the national average, you know, or, or incarceration for that matter, you know. Exactly. That, so I'm, I'm, I'm very, I, I, my applications for machine learning have been in that space on a personal level. But a professional level, since, since we're running out of time, I'll just say two things, right, to look for. I think machine learning algorithms are doing a really good job and, and indicate what the future might be. And the first one is just, it's really hard to figure out how to target an ad to a person um, that will be relevant for them in that moment. Like mm -hmm. literally thousands and thousands of signals available every single second for every single human being to show them the right ad. And there is no way, no amount of analytics or humans that can process that amount of um, uh, data fast enough. And machine learning algorithms are proving to be really, really good at being able to parse through the data, learn in real time, and in milliseconds show you the perfect ad. So at the moment, if you're using AdWords, that happens every single day, millions and millions of times a day. My, right? my, my, the other platforms, the, the, the ability of, of machine learning algorithms to process all this data to improve ad relevance is one, one really important factor. And then the second um, use case that also people should, should consider is the 
in Kubernetes, there are 200 reports, maybe 500. I, I forget, like so many that I can't even count. Mm -hmm. And it, you can get you can get lost in your ability to be able to look through all the data and find the few things you need to know. And that's a second use case for machine learning algorithms, be able to look at a lot of data and be able to find us only the things we need to know. So these are two sort of use cases. I have so many more uh, from our industry, but in the interest of time, look for those kinds of things. And, and that's where uh, I'm sort of very excited about the transformational impact of machine learning on our industry. Anywhere there is an enormous amount of data that would be very difficult for people to analyze and, and understand, that's the true strength of machine learning algorithms for now. The future is going to be way, way, way more different and, and, and brighter in so many ways uh, with machine learning expanding its influence across all kinds of industries and things. Human beings in, in 20 years will be doing entirely different things than they're doing now. Uh, but that, Sabir, is, is another episode of your program. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to have you on and we future will tackle. Of humanity. Yeah. Uh, so my final question to you, and, and then let's wrap it up, because uh, you, you have delivered a tremendous amount of insights uh, here and, and uh, about analytics and data and stuff. What is your number one $100,000 uh, insight you want to share with our audience? And for this one, I would like to pitch you, let's go with top five or 10, let, you can just rattle it off, mistakes that people make with Google Analytics, because that's the number one popular uh, web analytics platform. Yes, definitely, and these would apply to any analytic solutions. I, I, I think that uh, the one of the the first one I would say is what we started with earlier is they consider metrics to be KPIs. Mm -hmm. um, remember, the destination you choose will drive the outcomes that you get. You choose mm -hmm. the wrong destination, you die really fast. So that's the first one I would say. The second one is we all obsess about paid media. So our paid ads on Facebook, our paid ads on Google, our paid ads on television, things like that. And of course, we're paying for them, so we obsess about them extraordinarily. I don't think we all analyze enough the owned and earned media. We don't analyze and understand enough the value of email marketing or referrals or organic search or customer reviews indeed, right? Mm -hmm. So, so overvaluing paid over owned and earned is a giant big mistake that people make. So that's the second one. I'll end up choosing. The third one is most analysts I meet focus a lot on acquisition, but they don't focus enough on behavior. So they focus on everybody that came to my website, where are they coming from, what are they doing, what were the offers, what were the ads, what was the keywords, things like that. And they focus a lot of conversion they did the other end, did I make money, did I make money? What about your freaking website? What about the freaking mobile app, right? So very few analysts actually analyze the the behavior once people land on the site or are inside the app. So I'm a huge fan of analyzing consumer behavior. So I, I break analytics into three pieces, acquisition, behavior, outcomes. We overvalue outcomes. We overvalue acquisition. We need to overvalue behavior because that's how you get the outcomes, right? This is really important. They're, they're just derivative from there. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the fourth mistake I'll, I'll say is, most analytics tools, all analytics tools, are based on last click attribution. And, and I hate last click attribution. And so in Google Analytics, there is a dedicated section available for free for everybody called multi-touch attribution, multi-channel attribution. And so what you want to truly understand is the consumer journey and not that last visit. Most people just look at the last visit. So I, I highly recommend people use multi-channel uh, attribution tools. Look for a metric called assisted conversions. Look at how many conversions a channel brought for you, 
and then look at assisted conversions. It would change your life, right? It would change your life the way you do marketing, owned, earned, and paid. And the very last thing, very last thing I say is, is, is something we touched on a little earlier. Don't think revenue is profit. Most people make the mistake of thinking revenue is profit. Actually, revenue is not profit. And strive to understand what profit is on your website. And I, I, I even have a blog post, and I'll be happy to send it to you to, to include it about how can you, you know, begin to measure gross profit inside Google Analytics. Um, yeah. And so it's very, very important. Do not confuse revenue with profit. Um, uh, and, and so that's my fifth uh, recommendation. Awesome. That's uh, Avinash, thank you so much. I'm so blown away that you decided to say yes and be part of the show and the amount of uh, insights you've shared. I think uh, we, we pride ourselves on the show to be to deliver $100,000 in value. I think in, in, in the last two, three minutes, you delivered a lot more than that, let alone the other 60 plus minutes. And thank you for being a trooper and uh, not just delivering 60 minutes, 75 minutes now uh, in, into this show. Really appreciate you and uh, thank you for being part of the show. Thank you. Thank you, Sabir. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us, audience. I'll catch you next time on the